Uh, today's passage comes from Matthew 26, 17 to 30. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do, we want, where do you want to, us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my point is time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did at, as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say, to him one after the other. Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it has, is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judah, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, you have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it, new with you in my Father's kingdom. When I had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lewis, for reading for us. Thank you, Jason, for bringing your California vibe. <laughs> Flip-flops, man. It's 27 degrees outside. I don't know. I'm not sure. It's cool, though. It's cool. Well, I'm glad you're here on this Palm Sunday. It's the start of the penultimate event for followers of Jesus. And whether the world knows it or not, for the world, right? It's the resurrection, it's the empty tomb, it's not just the cross, it doesn't end there, but it ends at the empty tomb, and we are grateful. But today, as we look at the word, we're going to consider the table, the table, especially the meal where Jesus and his disciples ate their last meal prior to Jesus' death on the cross. And as we do, we will see and read that one of Jesus' best friends and disciples will betray him. Judas, uh, even though it has a prophetic end, it was pronounced beforehand, it kind of sets with us in a heavy way. We'll consider this morning what it is to be betrayed and how Jesus responded to the betrayal and how the Spirit can and will enable us and empower us to respond to betrayal and, can I say, any offense if we're willing, if we're willing to allow the Spirit to work in this way. Let's start at the beginning. How many of us uh, have a holiday or other traditions that serve as reminders 
of the past and give hope for the present and into the future. How many of us have that, those kind of holidays? You know, celebrate those? Right, Thanksgiving may be one of those times that while it's a national holiday, you, stay, you sit around a table and you look at each other and you, you realize time has passed, but there's a promise of what is to come and what has come, right? Christmas, Easter, definitely. Pentecost, for some of us, it might be even Fourth of July. My wife and her family, when they were young, they would, uh, they would have these celebratory uh, events where uh, her uncle would buy this truckload of fireworks and they would just uh, celebrate uh, the 4th of July. But with it came this idea and the concept of seeing each other, right? And looking at each other and celebrating together. Birthdays, anniversaries. You may have your own. But we all have those places and spaces where we celebrate holidays and we have traditions. Well, Passover is a Jewish holiday. It, it reminds them and us when, when they were slaved or enslaved in Egypt and God rescued them and led them from slavery to freedom. God saved them and declared over them that they, they were his chosen people for a special purpose, a special design. The special purpose was to show and share the world who God is. How he responds in the world in which he lives. It's the same for us. His special purpose was to show and share who God is. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, I wouldn't tell you to tag into Disney to find out about it. Just go to, your, uh, go to the, the special manuscript in the Bible in front of you and read it from Exodus first. Uh, which, by the way, Exodus means out of, escape from. God's command, God commanded the Jewish people to have a festival or a holiday or a tradition every year to remind themselves of the redemption and the salvation that came from him. So this is why, at the beginning of our text, the disciples asked Jesus, why, where do you want us to make preparations for the Passover meal? In case we forget, Jesus was Jewish through and through. Matthew reminds us that he kept he kept all of the law. In fact, he came to fulfill it all. It's crazy, but true. Jesus, Jesus tells them in our passage that we read this morning, and you can find this in Matthew 26, where to go and who to talk to. Yet we're left out of the name of the person and the street address. Isn't this kind of interesting? I mean, that Jesus would say, hey, go, go. I've, I've already kind of set this in, in play for us. And so they go and make the preparation meal needed for this annual, uh, annual family meal to retell, celebrate, and revisit the coming, uh, the hope of the coming Messiah. While, they're, while they are not with their, they themselves, the disciples are not with their family, they're quite a distance from them. They are a family into themselves. And I loved it, Jason, you are absolutely correct. If we do not have family with us who are family who believe in Jesus with us, the community of faith is our family, and it always will be our family. Jesus declared this pretty strongly in his own statement about his own family. It's only those who do the will of the Father. We've talked about this last a few weeks ago. Those who do the will of the Father are truly his family. Thus, it is the same with us. So they become family. They do it together. 
What we find out through Jesus' ministry is this. The table is special and can even be sacred. Have you found this to be so? That the table is special and even sacred? Those who get invited to a table are special. Jesus often got into trouble with the Pharisees, if we remember, uh, because he sat at the table with those who would be considered outside, those who would be considered sinners, those who were not living according to the customs and the ways of God, and even some of the uh, created uh, rules and regulations of the day. These were sacred and special places where Jesus would sit, who he chose to have a meal with. Jesus revealed the kingdom to us in this simple and special and sacred act. It is the very simple and special sacred act that we will take, partake in this morning. Pharisees and religious rulers believe that somehow sitting with others at a table for a meal would contaminate them and anyone who is attempting to live right for God. But Jesus changed the rules. He rewrote them through this this very common thing, we all need to eat. It's crazy. How many of us make an intentional decision to sit at a table and eat a meal? I mean, even this morning, I mean, do you think about that? Do you, do you, do you plan, do you create an intentional time to sit at a table? I, I get it. Uh, for some of us who have younger kids, it may be just uh, tough, or especially in those middle school, high school years, tough in our schedules to make room for the table in our homes. Yet I want you to think that as you might reserve the table as a special place, it can become even sacred. Even if it's just the two of you, that you will redeem that special sacredness that Jesus created it to be for yourself. And even as you share it with others. It's special and sacred because the table's an intimate space. I don't know, and maybe it's not the case anymore. Uh, somebody will have to tell me. But I remember when I was uh, dating during those years, and I'm glad I'm out of those years. Uh, but those of you who are in them, celebrate them. Uh, it's good. It's not bad. But I was told that most ladies, young women, really didn't desire to eat in front of, uh, in front of somebody else too much. It, it kind of would, might reveal something. It's, and I think it has to do with this intimacy of space and kind of invasion of how one eats. I get all of that. But the table is an intimate space. Yet I wonder, in our day and age, we have been conditioned to uh, not thinking so much, partly because we are, are rushing from place to place and space to space to grab a meal. It's not uncommon for us to, to pull through McDonald's or Taco Bell to grab a meal on the fly as we're moving along, not even thinking about the sacredness that it could possibly be. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Don't get me wrong. But it can blur what could potentially be even in our homes or those places and spaces that we set up with friends. That potential sacredness and intimacy that the table can afford us. 
See, if I've left my lunch at home, uh, easily I can get in my car, go for a walk, or make a call and have food brought to me to satisfy my hunger. Yet a meal, may I offer to you, could be something else. And it was something else for Jesus most often. Even those times that he fed the 4,000 and the 5,000, there was a supernatural sacredness that showed up to those spaces, even though they were satisfying hunger. So what is it for us? How do we see the table? Do we see it as a sacred place, an intimate space, an opportunity to continue our journey with Jesus and with others in community? Or do we just see it as a way to satisfy a hunger? As Jesus is at the table in this situation, the the disciples we know are in full deliberation of what the Passover meal is about. And if you've ever been through a full Seder, a full Passover, you will understand that it is truly a retelling, uh, a re-remembering year after year after year of that special exodus out of Egypt. There is great intention and purpose and intimacy with those who are gathered around. There is a hope that's in the retelling of the story of the rescue and the redemption of God's chosen people, Israel. Yet even at this table, little, little could they know what was going to transpire just as we, if we were sitting there. Could we imagine sitting there with Jesus, going through the Passover, realizing where we bet what was to come? We could not. So even as we kind of move into more of the text, I just want to come back to the table. Because the table is one of those places and spaces that's not, it's, it's sacred. So how can you make it sacred? A space of intimacy, of opportunity, of of continuing to pursue Jesus. What will you share about your day around the table? How will God be shared and interacted? You see, Passover and these festivals that were commanded by God for the Israelite people to celebrate were for that very reason. To consider how they were and how God was and how they were going to partner with God. Well, as they sat relishing the meal, Jesus speaks words that cut through the room, causing every person in the room to pause. And maybe even to cough on what they were eating. I mean, just even kind of choke on what they're eating. Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Quickly, each man picks up the words of denial and defensiveness. Can you imagine sitting in that room? Surely, you don't mean me, Lord. Not not me. I, I would never. They're leaning in. They've been intimate. They've been sharing cups of wine and food. Their, their bodies relaxed. But in that moment, I can imagine that their bodies became kind of tense, wondering. Jesus simply says that one of the 12 will betray him. So what does it mean to betray Jesus? 
remember, uh, there was one around the 12 that was, well, that probably the rest of them would consider more on the betrayal end of, of things. Remember Matthew? He was a tax collector. Uh, he, his life before Jesus was of life of betrayal, they would think. But what is he referring to? Is he referring to Matthew? I don't think so. Betrayal uh, for us is, is this, to deliver or expose to an enemy by treachery or disloyalty. Disloyalty. To abandon, to hand over, desert. Right? So kids, it's, it's like this. A friend tells you he or she is going to play with you on the playground or come to your house to play, but instead he plays with others. He abandons you. She abandons you or does not come over to play. And you find out later that they go and play with somebody else, even after promising that they would play with you. That's betrayal. Jesus declares there will be one who will betray him, betray, betray him. yet betrayal is not new to Scripture, not new to the Bible. Uh, betrayal began in the Garden of Eden. Actually, uh, betrayal began in the angelic realm first, if you want to know, when Lucifer rebelled against God and took his army of angels with him. Lucifer, the most glorious of all angels whom God created, became a pride, prideful and fell. He betrayed God, betrayed his creator, so his name was changed to Satan, Lucifer. The bearer of light became Satan, the accuser, the prince of darkness, the liar. So what are some of the other betrayals in Scripture if this is not the first one? Well, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. Remember that. Sold into slavery in Egypt. Samson was betrayed by Delilah. He was kind of a little dull on that one. The prophet Jeremiah was betrayed by those close to him. The Old Testament books of Kings and Chronicles, if you just read them straight through, you'll see deception and betrayal all the way through. David was betrayed by Saul and a host of others in his leadership. Paul was betrayed. I mean, we have a series of betrayals all through Scripture. So Jesus' betrayal is not the Judas's betrayal of Jesus is not new, yet it is penultimate. So what is it about betrayal that makes it so painful to endure? What is it about it? What makes betrayal so painful is it involves someone with whom you have a close relationship. Someone you trusted. David writes in Psalm 41, 9, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate bread, has lifted his heel against me. David is speaking of his own experience, but yet gives us a foreshadowing of what is and what is to come with Jesus. But perhaps the most heart-wrenching personal testimonies of disillusionment resulting from betrayal is found in Psalm 55. Some believe the occasion for the writing of this is when David was almost destroyed by a two-man team of betrayers. Absalom, a younger man, and Ahithophel, an older advisor who took advantage of David when he was most vulnerable, both having some 
something to gain. Their sinful hearts joined to destroy him. You can feel David's disillusionment around betrayal in these words. If an enemy were insulting me, I can endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Oh, that's what makes betrayal so, so painful. So painful. Maybe you have felt this level of betrayal. You know how it feels, when, and you are feeling some of those very same feelings in this moment. What do you do with them? I mean, what, what do you do with those feelings of being betrayed? Where do you take them? How, how can you live into the love of God and above them? Before we take a look at how Jesus responded, we need to see and read the rest of the betrayal of Judas of Jesus. In Matthew 26, 15, it says, Then one one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. There you go, betrayal. Hand him over. Jesus, the Son of God, was betrayed by Judas. Moved by satanic influence, Judas sold out Jesus to his enemies. Can you imagine? Selected and invited to be a part of the intimate ring at the table now through the whole period of his, of his moving towards this time. Yet Jesus, Judas excuse me, seizes the opportunity to betray Jesus to those he knew wanted to silence Jesus. We do have to drop this in so we have a full, better view of Judas himself. He was gripped with remorse. In Matthew 27, verses 3 and 4, it says this, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. I have sinned. For I have betrayed innocent blood. Their response, what's that to us? We don't care. It's your responsibility. Yet as we know, his remorse was too late, and Judas, his remorse was too late, and Judas's response returning the 30 pieces of silver was not going to change Jesus' situation or bring forgiveness or absolution for him. Here we are at the table. Jesus was going to be handed over to his enemy. You know, what's quite interesting to me about this is that we have no record of any of the other 11 going, I knew it. I knew he was a betrayer. I knew he was going to do it. We have none of that. You notice that? I mean, one commentator that I read said Judas must have covered his tracks well, well, that even those who were close to him did not know or could even consider him being the one who would betray Jesus. It's kind of puzzling, isn't it? Yet, 
the question still hangs, and the one we're going to deal with this morning is how, what do we learn from Jesus' response and reaction to betrayal? How can we deal with betrayal in our own lives? Well, there are a couple of ways that we can take a look at this. One is considering his, refle- his role as Savior, and one we'll get to as shepherd. Savior, this abs- application or this observation may be more obvious. Jesus was betrayed as part of God's larger plan. We know this to bring about good, the plan of redemption. It was predicted by the prophets. It was a, it was a necessary it was necessary. The betrayal of Christ was a triumph in the devil's eyes, but Satan fooled himself into thinking he had won the war which began in, first in the garden. Betrayal is what he used to take Jesus to death, but it was, it was the death of Christ which broke, broke the devil's back. It was the victorious resurrection of Jesus to life which led to the defeat of Satan, the power of Satan's influence, The power of Satan's influence is connected to sin. When sin was conquered by death and resurrection of Jesus, the devil was crippled forever. So without betrayal, you would not have the Savior. It was prophesied. It was predicted. But I don't believe any, any less painful, even though Jesus knew this, because he was fully human, fully divine, But there may be a less obvious uh, observation or application for us as we talk through this. And this is probably where we would land and we need to hear, lean into. That Jesus is the good shepherd. He he was, who was attacked and devoured by the wolves around him. He knows betrayal. He knows what it feels like. Therefore, he can shepherd you and me through our own experiences of betrayal. I don't know what betrayal looks like in your life. I don't know who your betrayers have been or even who they might be. Perhaps it was a friend or a co-worker, perhaps a co-laborer, in the, even, even in ministry. Perhaps it's a, a family member, a spouse, a parent, a child. Most of us have experienced betrayal in some form. Even as children, on the playground, with amongst our friends, because of the wickedness of man's heart and the insidious, deceitful ways of the accuser, the Satan, betrayal is all too common. In Jesus, you have a compassionate shepherd, a priest who understands your pain. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, Verses 14 through 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne with grace, throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, Jesus endured the cross and the empty tomb. He endured all he endured for not only our redemption, but for our, can I just say this word, success in our faith journey. 
so that we can walk through these areas of our life, betrayal, one of them, and offenses, with success and victory, knowing he is empowering us. No matter what your betrayal or experience looks like or offense, there is one who understands. There is one who is able to bring good even out of something so wicked and so painful. So let me encourage you. We'll do this in the next steps, and I'll encourage you in this way, but run to him with your pain, your hurt, your confusion, because he understands so, so how do we do this? How do we live into the love as Jesus did and not the offense and the betrayal of those who are close to us? How do we do this? What can Jesus teach us how to handle, to get through, to process betrayal and offenses in our lives? What are we to do when, it, when those happen and they happen at our table with the very people that we love and care for. Well, I think, I think this table shows us how. There will be times that it will happen by commission, very intentionally, and then other times betrayal happens by omission. I can tell you this by my own, my own slip of the tongue. Lack of judgment due to fear. I mean, Even marching into Peter's own denial was a sense of betrayal. Yet, he was found to be repentant. I mean, people will let you down, even our closest friends and family. We will let people down, and hopefully not betrayal. But how do we walk through this? You may say, well, I have the right to be offended. Well, you may just have the right. But following just Jesus dictates that our response comes, our response to the betrayal comes from a place of love and obedience to him. So if Jesus is in us, then his love is in us, and we should respond to the betrayal like he responded to betrayal and love, loving words. So how do we do this? In Romans 12, 14. And 20 and 21, it says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So can I just tell you the first thing that I think that the Lord would want us to do, just as he did when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane that very evening, is pray. Pray for them. Not only was he praying for his own soul, but can I, can I just tell you, I believe he was fully human and he took his hurt to the Lord. We need to pray. Now, uh, in this praying, are we going to quickly move to a redemptive spirit? No, most often, just like I've walked through in multiple occasions, we're like, spite them, Lord, take them down, right? We have this kind of, but as we continue to lean into prayer, we continue to see that the spirit of the living God changes our hearts and changes us to love them, to see them as God sees them, and to move from the anger and bitterness in our heart to love and forgiveness that transcends every situation. 
Matthew 5, 43 through 45 says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that they may be children, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So when we, when we enact and start to pray for those who are persecuting us or those who have offended us, we then start to reflect the very nature of the God we say we love, the Father in which we follow. Number two, we need to forgive them. Forgive them. We know those, those words that Jesus ushered just before his, he, he died and was buried. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Our call is to extend forgiveness and oftentimes we, we, we believe just as we think praying is about, it's about the other person, but it's re- releasing ourselves from holding anything. And holding love back to where it can invade. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It seems kind of odd. Forgive them. They need to be forgiven. But this forgiveness is, is kind of for you the individual who's been betrayed or offended, that when you give forgiveness, you free yourself and you're able to live in the kingdom and walk freely. I think we're also called to bless them. And this is, bless is one of those uh, Christian words we like to share a lot. But what does it mean? I think it literally means care for them. I think it literally means extend yourself to them in, in a way that po- quite possibly is very sacrificial on your part, but extend yourself to them. I remember uh, I, I, had, uh, I had this issue with an individual, and so I met with a mentor, and the mentor said to me, well, Steve, have you ever written this person a note? you know, thanking this person for what they did that was good and positive and and those type of things. Like, in in my mind, maybe in yours too, I was like, why would I do that? I have this issue with them. I don't don't even, I I just, I don't want to. And they, they said, why don't you try just finding the good because everyone has good. And I was praying and I was working through forgiveness and I began to do this. And can I tell you, it, it, it took a few years of continuing to press in to this process. But I began to see not the person's issue, but mine. I began to reflect and realize, oh, you're such an, you're so arrogant. You're so pride. I mean, and as if that has all gone away, it hasn't. You know, I I just began to kind of self-examine through this process. So even as I offer up these three steps, they're they're not set three steps. They're they're continually processing and working us through where where Jesus did not sin at all. We tend tend to be tempted to step into sin. But we can avoid that. You see, I want to repeat 
well, I want to read the scripture. Love your enemies, do good to them, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, do to others as you would have them do to you. Wow. So, how do we do this? If Jesus is in us, then his love is in us and we can grow to respond, enabled by the Spirit to betrayal like he responded to betrayal, in love and with loving words and loving actions. We can. We can move in that direction, empowered by his Spirit. So let me ask you, as we move towards communion, who do you need to be praying for? That you, you just, I, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how I'm going to pray for this individual or these individuals. Did I just tell you to start and let the Lord lead you? Who, who do you need to forgive? And forgiveness is not a one-time act. It is a continuous process of relinquishing what, to God what is God's. Or how can you bless them? How can you care for them in surprising ways to yourself? How can you care for them? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your son, Jesus. Uh, As we celebrate his entry this morning into Jerusalem, recognizing that he is the king, we are grateful he is the king and Lord He is Savior and Good Shepherd. Father, who set a table not only for those that he knew would love him and like him and stay true to him, but even this morning set a table for those who would betray him. Father, you know that as humans we we have either betrayed or we have felt betrayal, or both. Lord, lead us to your cross. Lead us to Jesus this morning. Seeking his face with our pain and our hurt and our sin. grateful for the table he set and that he sets for us this morning. Lord, lead us as we commit ourselves to you this morning. Maybe you have yet to say yes to Jesus or it's been a long time since you uh, have said a yes. Your, Your daily yes has become an occasional yes and you need to say yes to Jesus this morning by committing to him. There's a prayer on the screen you can read and pray if that's you. For he invites you to the table this morning. If that's you, would you pray that with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy, grace, and love found, love and love found in and through Jesus. Save me and forgive me for my sins. I give you my life and choose to follow, love, and live for you in Jesus' name. This time we will partake of communion.
The table is set for you by our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. All who are truly and earnestly repent of your sins, who live in love and peace with your neighbors and intend to lead a new life. Following the commandments of God and walking in his holy ways, draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort and humbly kneeling, make your honest confession to Almighty God. Let's just take a moment <clears throat> right where you're at and pause in silence. Just some moments for you with the Lord, just personal confession as you prepare to take the Lord's Supper. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Redeeming God, in your conquest of death, we see the destiny of every hope in you. Remind us through this meal that you have made us into a new creation. Mm. Send your Holy Spirit upon this bread and this cup that, we may, that they may be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we may be the body of Christ mm. incarnate in this mm. world redeemed by Christ's blood. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. 